0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I guess I'm kind of going to call this the season finale of season two of the Yankees Magazine podcast because you're listening to this now, the next one you listen to, baseball season will be underway i'm john schwartz deputy editor of yankees magazine with me right now is al sanasiri our editor-in-chief hello hey al and of course we have nate makaborski hi guys nate we missed you last time uh you were back in wintry new york while al and i were chatting up brian Hoke down in florida
2: (laughs) yeah i was i was holding down the fort but um i trust you guys had a had a productive time down in tampa and, and, and enjoyed the sunny weather down there Holding down the fort is one way
1: to put it. I don't think in my five years of being here that
2: we have been busier than we have been (laughs) these last three weeks. It has been outrageous. Yeah, my my eyes are just swirls like, you know, the cartoons right now. It's uh, my head spinning, but we got some some really exciting things coming out uh, on opening day, 2019 yearbook, April magazine, uh, opening day edition as well, so Uh, Yeah, it requires (laughs) a lot of editing, a lot of writing, a lot of tracking down photos. But seriously, these are uh, two special
1: books um, that we have ready for you for opening day. I'm so happy. I love when opening day, when the home opener is... (laughs) Opening day. I know that people say like, you know, start the season in warm weather place. Like, no, shut up. Start the season at home. (laughs) home. As early as possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But it, 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 we, these are, these are solid books that we produced and we're producing and we're finishing right now. I have fought all kinds of muscle memory not to make the intro to this podcast, the final countdown by Europe, just because I feel like every Two weeks when we've been doing this, it's been like new milestones that we're hitting. It's man, our next podcast, you know, players will have reported spring training, and then it's like our next podcast, there'll be spring training games going on. And now, literally, I mean, joking aside, our next podcast is actually baseball season. We, yeah, we did it. That's great. So, I would like for us to discuss two opposite ends of the Yankees roster on this episode. You know, we have so many great young players on this team, and two of them in particular, Al, you wrote about Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres. And then on the back half, of this episode, we'll talk about Cece Spathia and Brett Gardner. You know, the four of them together are working to make, you know, the twenty nineteen Yankees something special, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that's gonna come down to what the team gets out of Glaber and Miggy to follow the lead set by Cece and Brett, who were the only two guys left on the team who played here in two thousand nine when the team won the World Series. So it'll be a fun little bookend here. Al, you put together a great story for our yearbook about Anduhar and Torres. I'd love to hear just what you were trying to do when you set out to write the story. Well,
3: thank you for the the compliment, first of all. I I never get those compliments from you off the record, so it's great. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. No, thanks a lot. Think back to last fall when we sat in this very room and put together the edit lineup for the 2019 yearbook, which now seems like it was five years ago, not five so months ago. Really, the first thing that came to my mind was Story on Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar together because they were two guys who came up both last season at the very beginning of the season or, or near the beginning of the season, I should say, and put together two incredible rookie campaigns, two incredible seasons, even if they weren't rookies, just overall. You know, Andujar a little bit more than Torres kind of came out of nowhere, so to speak, but Torres came of age really, really quickly. And that was something that I really wanted to do, something I really wanted to write and and have in the yearbook. But more than just kind of relying on, you know, the quotes that I was going to get from from both of these guys, it was really something where I I really wanted to, you know, almost make this piece be yet another case for really how special what these two guys accomplished last year. So I spent quite a bit of time, quite a bit of research, and quite a bit of words— quite frankly, especially, you know, in the, the first half of the story, just basically highlighting not only what they did, which is which is knowledge that, that anyone can look up, but really making what I hope were unique or impactful, let's say, comparisons to other rookies, other Yankees rookies and other rookies throughout the history of baseball. I had a, a, an amazing opportunity to, to have uh, a three-hour dinner With Glaber and his wife uh, at one of my favorite restaurants in Tampa, Charlie's Steakhouse, and, you know, got him to really uh, reflect on, you know, not every single day of last year, but quite a few of the days, starting with his first game on April 22nd and going through the whole season and the postseason and all that, and really— got a perspective of what it was like for him to go through that season. And then I did a similar interview with uh, Miguel Andujar um, at the, at George M. Steinbrenner field and was able to kind of put the piece together that way. You know, it's impossible, especially as we do this yearbook where we're looking at, you know, teams from the past. It's always
1: impossible to talk about players in this generation without thinking of players of the last generation. And one thing that always stuck out about, you know, those core four players, if you will, is the stories that they have about coming up through the minors together. Um, and, you know, Jeter's impressions of Posada, Posada's impressions of Jeter and all these things. And I I always kind of wonder what kind of impact that plays on players you know, in those early years, when 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 they've been with these guys for a long time, when it's not just like they've been assembled together. Obviously, you know, Glaber came over in a trade. It's not like he was drafted here, but he did spend you know a lot of formative literal formative time, with Andujar um, on the other side of the diamond or next to him on the diamond when he was at shortstop.
3: I, I think it's um, more impactful than people will ever realize. I, I did uh, quite a few interviews with the members of the Core Four about th- their time together. You know, starting when they were 20, 21 years old, um, what was interesting about them is they were, you know, four young men from four different parts of the world, really. And they were instantly kind of bonded together and, and had this friendship. I think, you know, in life, I think sometimes your, your truest friends are the people who you were with the longest the people who you were with before you you made it so to speak and then when you do make it and you make it with them I think it's that much sweeter I know that this episode we're not here to talk about Derek Jeter or Andy Pettit but just because you brought it up John I I, my favorite all-time quote I think from Andy Pettit uh, which relates to this was when I asked him and I asked the other members of the core for what was their first memories of each other and Andy Pettit said, you know, the first time I ever met Derek Jeter, he just walked up to me and told me that I looked exactly like his uncle. And <laughs> I just never forgot that. It just, And neither did he, obviously. It was really funny. I didn't get anything that humorous from um, Miguel Andohar or Glaber Torres. But what really resonated with me was that when they played in the Arizona Fall League together, um, they both realized how talented the other one was. They They didn't see that initially, but they both noticed that in the Arizona Fall League. And they've made this kind of vow to each other that our goal is going to to be to make history together, and when you see or you hear about two people doing that when they're not even in the majors, not even close to the majors, it says quite a bit about how similar they are in terms of their drive and in terms of their confidence, and then for them to both come up at the same time and, oh, look at that, make history together? It sure as heck made my story, I'll tell you that much.
2: They were certainly one of those things, you know, we talked about a few episodes ago about when we went down to Tampa, what we'd be, you know, kind of keeping an eye on. And uh, you know we talked about the, the first base position battle, which was certainly one of those things, and which just know, had no clarity whatsoever. Yeah, both guys just doing great. You know we talked about Gary and how he would be doing behind the behind the plate. But you know when when Andujar and Torres are out there on the infield together, I mean you can't look away. You know mm-hmm. it's just uh, they're they're compelling figures, and um, it, it did look as though. Uh, Andujar spent a lot of time this offseason working on his defense. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the improvements hopefully show up on the field at, during the regular season this year. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a big part of what why this team is, is so exciting right now. I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, in the last few weeks doing a, a lot of research on the 1939 Yankees for another piece in, this, in the yearbook. And um, that was Joe DiMaggio's first of three MVP seasons. And he flirted with 400 and had a, you know, just an incredible year. That was the Yankees' fourth straight world championship. The first of those four was when Joe D was a rookie. And how many times did we see Duhar's name linked to Joe oh D last God. year? Um, so, you know, watching them, watching what they did on the field last year, uh, Glaber and Miggy, just, you know, it's, it's hard not to uh, get excited and, and imagine what, what can be.
1: I always say this, and I'm sure I've said it on this podcast, so I apologize. You know, every team has its history. Every team has its records. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of Diamondbacks um, who this year will set Arizona Diamondbacks records, of course. There's just something about this franchise that, you know, it it, it forces you— to pay attention to the past and it's a fun thing to do obviously you know you have monument park you have all these things around the stadium but you know it's living too because it's miguel Andujar, like you said doing something that makes you talk about joe dimaggio you know and it it just yeah i know that there are people obviously who find this part of the yankees annoying or what have you but you know it is just it makes you realize just how special it is sometimes that When you're comparing what this guy is doing to the greats of his franchise, what you're actually talking about often is, you know, Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or Roger Maris or
3: people who transcend the sport, people who are some of the greatest American sportsmen in history. You know, look, he's not there but right. we're yeah, not certainly like, like, his hmm. rookie years there you know yeah. that, that happened
1: yeah. his rookie years up there with Joe DiMaggio's rookie year and right? it seems like every year around here there's a no another rookie you
2: kind of lately <laughs> <laughs> yeah well <laughs> sure yeah.
1: and and there were two I mean look I think uh maybe this is a little too inside baseball-y but I think Nate actually struck out um something that I put in a caption but you know the funny thing to me about Gleyber Torres a season last year is that I think that there's parts of it that are supposed to seem a little disappointing because there's a moment when he was like the sure rookie of the year and like it it was just no one can stop this guy and he's gonna come up with the bases empty and hit a three-run homer and i think you look back at it in hindsight and you're just like oh my god what an amazing season that was yeah. and it, yeah i'm just i'm constantly amazed i've been amazed from the moment i first met him after the trade every time since then to actually finally see him last year on the field doing what we had expected and well beyond what we could have expected for glaber torres you yeah, know I'm, I'm, I'm so curious to see what that looks like this year
3: yeah and, and you know you you can't ever predict what someone's going to do, and this by no means is a prediction that they're going to not have a sophomore slump or how well they're, each of them are going to do in 2019, but what I will say, and, and I, I did include this in the story that was really impressive, is that there was no complacency in either of their voices and their attitudes. You know, Glaber, I, I was one of the first people to get to spring training this year. Miggy worked tirelessly on his defense the whole offseason, and you know, really is, is looking to improve. I, I heard a great interview with Brian Cashman where he talked about, um, you know, the, the greatest thing he wants in a in a player is their desire to work. You know, and he talked about how you know if if they have that and they have a foundation of of talent, things like a shortcoming on defense doesn't really worry him at all. And he talked about you know how hard. Uh, Miggy's been working at it and, and continues to during spring training. So, by again, this isn't a prediction of uh, that they're not going to have a sophomore slump, but in my heart of hearts, I really think they're going to pick up where they left off and they think the same thing of each other and can continue to actually get better and make, and they might get a lot better really quickly, which is which is all pretty exciting. It's a terrific story.
1: I'm really excited for it to kick off this season. Fans getting a chance to read this story is called Super Two. You can pick it up in the New York Yankees official yearbook, which is on sale on opening day here at the ballpark. Certainly you can go to 800-GO-YANKS to pick up your copy or www.yankies.com publications. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we're going to discuss, like I said, the other side of the Yankees roster, which is a QA and a that I had a chance to do with Brett Gardner and CeCe Sabathia. So stick with us.
3: Hi, this is Masahiro Tanaka. You are listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
1: And welcome back. So we made you wait, you know, a little bit as we hung out with some of the younger players on this roster. Let's go to the oldest players on this roster. You know, it was a really cool moment for me to get to sit with Brett Gardner and CeCe Sabathia, along with some help from the Yankees On Demand scoreboard crew. And it was just a really uh, fun talk. We we talked about what made that 2009 team so special. And, you know, the, the answer is a lot of things. It was a unique team. It was a fun team. And it was awesome to see the emotion that these two guys still have in talking about this 10 years later.
2: So l- give us a little background. How did this all come together? And where did this interview take place?
1: I love it when we do Q&As. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. But I'm w- always way more interested in the player sharing the experiences together you know I I love to facilitate a conversation but I would say you know the best parts of this Q&A are really when the two of them are talking to each other and that's what I want I wanted to get a sense of what this memory is still for these guys 10 years later and how whether it's with me in the pavilion outside of GMS field with a bunch of microphones and cameras around them or if they're just sitting next to each other on a plane perhaps and kind of reminiscing together I wanted to get a sense of
2: how they talk and that's what I was going for in this. So you got them together down in Tampa and it's funny to think about now but I mean both guys are just such you know they're ingrained in that clubhouse as veteran leaders but at the time when at the start of the 2009 season CeCe was the new guy he was the big you know kind of marquee free agent that off season, and the Yankees brought him aboard uh, along with A.J. Burnett and Mark Teixeira and Gardy was, you know, still kind of trying to carve out his niche on the on the team, I would say.
1: Well, it's it's really funny to me because and I'm trying to figure out how to describe this using my hands and everything like that in a podcast. If you haven't been into the Yankees clubhouse, and I'm assuming most people listening to this haven't, right now CC and Gardy, they are at the absolute farthest end from where the media goes in. It's really the two prime spots. There's a door separating them that leads to the players only area, so it's very easy for them should they want to, to escape. Now I'll say that of all the players on this roster, Gardner and CC are probably two of the most accessible guys on the roster, but yeah. they also have, you know, the easiest escape hatches. They really occupy the, you know, prime real estate in that clubhouse. But, and this was one of the funny things that I wanted to get to. There's an inclination now to talk about them as though they were equals on that team, but they so weren't, you know? Gardner had just kind of fought his way onto the roster at the very end of 2008 and was absolutely fighting for a spot. In spring training, two thousand nine, CC comes in with the biggest contract a pitcher had ever signed. Um, you know, so we think of them now as just you know the two veterans remaining from two thousand nine. But give me a break. I mean, Gardner ended
2: up playing a big role in that team, but he was not where CC was when that season started. So, what were some of their favorite memories? What did you guys touch on? Did you kind of go through the season from start to end? A little bit, a
1: little bit. You know, the, the interview was taking place in spring training, so it was easy to talk about their perspectives. You know, and again, just as I just pointed out. They came from very different places to Tampa that year. CC had just come off that remarkable second half with Milwaukee when he basically, as I wrote about last year, demanded the ball every day, pitched on three days rest like 11 times, completed something like nine games that season, and led Milwaukee to the playoffs. And Gardner told me that that was, you know, obviously they knew they were getting a Cy Young winner. They knew they were getting, you know, a popular guy. But what they also knew was that they were getting a complete bulldog who wanted the ball absolutely every time. And so one of the interesting things they both said to me was, you know, one of the ways the tone was set early was by A.J. Burnett. And, you know, that team obviously was an exciting team. You had Nick Swisher, you had A.J. Burnett. You had a lot of personalities on that team, despite the reputation, if you will, of the core four being a little bit reserved and things like that you did have some characters there but they also you know just by the nature of the way that team was winning they were streaky they would go on these win streaks that you know just kind of kept going and going and going and got everyone excited but they would also win so many games with walk-offs and then pie each other in the face and everything like that so it was less talking about the specifics you know this happened in april and this happened in may and stuff like that and it was just the totality of the fun experiences and the walk-offs and the pies and we actually have some audio here of them talking about that.
4: It was a great locker room. We had so much fun. I feel like from yeah. day one, from the start, like, and that was something I was worried about coming here. You know, you hear so many stories and different things, right. but from day one, we all got along. We all had fun. AJ was pieing people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was just, it just seemed like a different, a different team than what I was used to seeing.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it can be dangerous when you have that many big personalities and that many superstars in the room. Um, you know, you could could lead to some conflict, but not at all. I mean, between A.J. and Johnny Damon and Swish, I mean, there was always a party going on. There was always somebody running their mouth or being loud and, and having a good time, and... Um, you know, I think um, – and, and, you know, we all know this. I mean, team chemistry is so important, and we had great team team chemistry that year.
4: Yeah, it, it, we took off right away. I mean, we just all the walk-offs and everything, and then we started pieing, and it was just, like, yep. magical from the start.
5: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was a fun year. <laughs> Al, uh, mm-hmm. what 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 season number was that for you here? I'm, I'm sure you uh, have, have fond memories as well from
3: 09. From oh, yeah. I mean, it was my ninth se- – excuse me, it was my seventh season. <laughs> my math is a little off today. Or every day it was my seventh season and um so your first as a world champion then. And, yeah and you know like my first year was 2003 I, you know I started here um, just a little bit after the the Yankees had gone on such a great run where they won you know three three championships in a row and went to another World Series in 2001 and you know I I wasn't here for that and then I got here in 03 and we got to the World Series in what seemed like you know, from spring training to October, it took like five minutes and we were going to beat the Marlins and, you know, I'd get a ring right off the bat and it didn't happen. And then, you know, seven seasons later, it still hadn't happened until this team came around. So for me, it was really cool. It was very rewarding. And it was a really, really special time. It was a season where one of the first seasons where I traveled with the the team during the entire postseason. And that you know, for me, gave me really this insider's behind-the-curtain look at what this team was really like in their, in their private moments after losing big games in the postseason and, of course, after winning big games in the postseason. I'll never, ever, ever forget, you know, when we beat the Minnesota Twins out there in Minnesota. It was a night game, and the, the plans had been made, win or lose. We were going to fly back the next morning. We weren't going to fly back that evening, so... It was pretty cool that we won (laughs) because we were able to just not have to go anywhere. We went back to the hotel. The Yankees rented a big ballroom in the hotel where the team partied for a couple hours after the game. What was really cool about this team was, yeah, there were some young players. But it was a really mature group. There, there was no craziness going on at this party. It was just a bunch of people, their wives, their, their children, their families. I remember um, how much that season meant to Alex Rodriguez. I remember his presence at that party and how excited he was for the next round against the Anaheim Angels. And, you know, my memories are just, are just really fond of a really cool group of guys who really wanted it really badly and didn't ever lose sight of that, even in the moments where they could have, you know, on the planes and on the buses and and all that stuff. What about you, though, Nate? Tell me about your recollections of that post-season, of that season and that postseason as well as your third season. Barely. I mean,
2: I came aboard in 07, and 2008 was my first full year. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Those first few years here, it was, like, surreal. Like, it was just one incredible day after the next, um, you know, from being here to witness the final season of the old stadium and all the emotions that were tied in with that to, you know, being part of the, you know, the crew here that, Picked up our belongings and walked them across the street and opened up this building here. Opening day in the new stadium was was my thirtieth birthday and like it was just a pretty cool way to start your thirties. And now here That's I am cool. uh, <laughs> about to turn forty. <laughs>
1: and obviously, the starting pitcher that day was CC Sabathia. CC Sabathia
2: yeah. took the mound. Now CC Sabathia is going to throw the first pitch for real. Sabathia
0: is ready. Grady Sizemore is ready. Let's do it. For the first time here at the new Yankee Stadium, 161st Street and River Avenue, Sabathia deals. And we are underway, ball one, and we have a ballpark. Now and they're going to save that ball, they'll ask for it from CC Sabathia, and that will go to the Hall of Fame. So the first pitch ever thrown at the new Yankee Stadium, a ball to Grady Sizemore.
2: Even talking to some of the, you know, core four members years later when they were having their numbers retired or or whatever, you know, they looked back on that 2009 season as being something really special. You know, it was they had experienced so much success so early in their careers that getting to the World Series, I mean, I don't think it ever became, uh, you know, something they took for granted. But, you know, they were there a lot. And then there was that gap, like you talked about. And so I think when they got back in 2009, they had a different appreciation for it. And yeah, I mean, it was just surreal. I mean, to be barely two years on the job and on a parade float with the New York Yankees, I mean, it still doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but (laughs) it was... It was uh, something I'm always will be thankful for, and putting together the the publications that we did in conjunction with that postseason was something that I'll always take a lot of pride in as well.
1: It's funny I was coming at it from another angle. I was at MLB at the time, and we would travel for the World Series. And every you know year, you're kind of leading into the World Series, kind of looking at you know all the hotel reservations you have and all the you know exotic places you might be going, and kind of one by one, knocking out your reservations and things like that. And there were a lot of reasons why it was very exciting that the Yankees were in the World Series. But one of the less exciting reasons was you had you know, Anaheim slash LA or whatever you want to go and all these places. And it's like or are we going to be in New York City and Philadelphia? And and, and, and the thing about it is When you're working at MLB and when you're traveling for the World Series, being in New York means that you're working a full day as a regular office day, and then working the baseball game that night, as opposed to being on the road and being able to actually do the work you need to do for the World Series without having to pretend that you're also working for the day. (laughs) So everyone was just like devastated Uh. by the fact that um, we were in New York, but ended up, you know, it was the first. It's hard to remember almost at this point, but it was the first time since 2003 here that a World Series had gone through the second off day. I mean, we'd had so many bad series in a row. The previous year you had the Phillies and Rays which oh. seemed very long because yeah. there was a 48-hour rain delay, right. Right. but you know, it was also five games. This was the first time that you went to a game 6 since game 6 here in 03. And it was just a fantastic series, you know, starting with that incredible performance by Cliff Lee in game 1 that you know, you kind of, the Phillies were the defending champion. Suddenly they have Lee out there and looking like that in game one, you're sitting there and you're thinking like, is this going to be a short series? Like, I mean,
3: how many games can you do this? Yeah. In? I'll cut in here for a second. I'll take it, you know, back a step further where I think the series really started, you know, at the media day, a couple of days before where Jimmy Rollins guaranteed that the Phillies were going to win the series. You know, I know Jorge Posada talked about it. I think it's the first couple words of his, the book that he wrote a couple of years later, how that motivated him and his teammates. There was so much drama in that
1: series from, you know, the eventual MVP Hideki Matsui being a guy who couldn't play in the NL Park essentially, right. um, you know, which just goes to show how incredible he was in the three games at Yankee Stadium. You obviously had the return of Pedro Martinez to the Yankees uh, rivalry, if you will, the time with the Phillies. In my head, I always thought of this incorrectly as like a small memory from that World Series. And, and, and it was an interesting thing in talking to Guardy and CeCe about it. The memory for me of the actual on-field memory was when Johnny Damon stole second base, kind of, you know, looked mischievously around and realized third was unoccupied and kept going.
0: Peixeira so won
1: for 10 in his career against
0: Lidge. There goes Damon, no chance for Ruiz. And now headed to third base as he got around Feliz. And he's there, which is important because of the pitches in the dirt. And he's there with two out. Pedro Feliz tried to fake Johnny Damon. He just kept going.
1: That wasn't out of nowhere. They had scouted that, you know, the Phillies often didn't cover third, it Mm -hmm. seemed. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is, you know, that was a fun play and a quirky play and a little interesting play. It also totally changed the next at-bat and really changed the series in a lot of ways because, granted, you know, the Yankees were in good position at that point. But, you know, if the Phillies win that game, that's a totally different series.
5: Though. You know, Johnny is always going to give us something some something entertaining. To uh, He's gonna, <laughs> always going to entertain us. So, I mean, that's something that we had actually, um, if I remember right, something Rob Thompson had mentioned before the game, keep an eye on these guys getting out of position, whether it be uh, obviously 10 years ago there weren't near as many shifts in the game as there are now. But, you know, um, most people just see that as a crazy play. But um, him getting to third base is why Brad Lidge hangs a slider instead of bouncing a slider. And that's why... A rod is able to connect on that slider that's left up a little bit. Um, you know, pitchers don't want to bury a breaking ball when you got a guy on third base. So um, Johnny getting over to third base, um, that that one play could have very easily been the difference in the whole outcome of the World Series. So um, that is something I will never forget.
2: What did CC have to say about the 2009 World Series? What uh, did you ask him? What sticks out in his mind from uh, either? pitching in it or maybe you know the celebration afterwards or because that was all uh new for him so there were two interesting things that i got from cc about that you know the first thing was
1: cc's always very honest and cc's not gonna you know bs you in terms of saying the pc and right thing so i asked a question you know after that cliff lee start because cc was here as the ace and he was incredible incredible in game one of the alcs in, against anaheim he was absolutely amazing that day and you know he goes up against cliff lee you know, so I kind of asked him the question, like, how confident were you, despite that game, you know, that you guys could would still do this? And he was—he just was flat out said to me, "He's like, I hadn't done it before. Like, I didn't. I, why would I be confident? You know, I know is we're down one game, and I was devastated." He said. So I thought it was, you know, I'm sure it's easier to say that ten years later when you know that you have a shiny World Series ring in your room that you, mm-hmm. you can look at if you need to. But he's sitting there remembering the two homers to Chase Utley, and he's saying, like, I might have just cost us the World Series in game one so I thought that was interesting the other side of that is you know the celebration to
0: the second baseman Cano the Yankees are back on top world champions for the 27th time
1: he was talking to me about just his incessant need to be the one of the first ones onto the field and he was always in every celebration he was always one of the first ones to jump over he, the guy he might not look it but he's got uh, some good hurdling ability <laughs> but he said the reason he wanted to get there so early was because he was afraid if everyone formed the dog pile before he got there then when he in a fit of like absolute mania jumped on the top of it he might hurt people so he wanted to be more toward the middle or bottom of that dog pile and not at the very top <laughs>
4: You know what I was thinking? I was thinking that I didn't want to be the last one to, like, jump on the pile. Like, I didn't want to, like, it be a dog pile and, like, hurt somebody. So I was trying (laughs) to get out there. I was trying to be, like, one of the first ones out there. So, like, I had my foot up there. I was ready when when Victorino hit that ground ball. I still remember Victorino hit the ground ball to Robbie. I was already out there. Like, I was already ready to celebrate and, and just, you know, kind of get loose.
5: You're always the first one on the field. <laughs> like you said, if uh, when Derek had his walk-off, his final game at home, yeah, if, if, he, gets, if, it's, if it's, he had been out at the plate, you'd have been out me there, and Gene out on the field right together, there, yeah.
4: dog. <laughs>
2: Now,
1: that's a good teammate. That's right a great there. teammate. Yeah. There's, a, there's a reason people love CC. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, and, and I really, I know I said it at the beginning, I want to say it again, the Yankees on demand and – scoreboard crew we kind of did this one together it's really fun to work with them we always have different questions different interests different things that we're looking at I know that there's questions that are included in this Q&A that I never would have thought of and I'm certain and hope that when they do their video item of it there's stuff of mine that maybe they weren't expecting to get but it's always it's always they're, they're such pros and it's good working with them and I'm grateful for you know the job that they always do but honestly you're not gonna find two better guys around this league than Gardner and Sabathia I've had a lot of great opportunities to get very close to the Sabathias as a family and I've been grateful for the chances to write about them this is you know this is just a simple baseball story this is a very very basic baseball story I don't think there's anything that I brought to this one that anyone else couldn't have but I assume we're probably looking at the last year as a Yankee for both of these guys right now certainly Sabathia said it I think if everything goes right for the Yankees young players this year it probably means there's not a role for Gardner next year although it's probably too soon to say that but you know, if this is, it, it was just a great opportunity for me to get to talk about these incredible memories with these two guys, and I I know I really enjoyed it.
3: I think it's a great story and, and a great um, way to look at that team uh, through, you know, the two guys who were still here and were there then. So it was a great great idea and executed really well. And
1: we're gonna have a lot more of this stuff. This is the first look back at the 2019 team we're doing this year. In the April magazine that's also coming out opening day, we have a Q&A with Nick Swisher. Um, so just stick around with us for this whole year. There's going to be a lot of great memories. This story is called Feel It Still. It's in the yearbook. I hope you'll check it out. And guys, off-season's over. Off-season's <laughs> over. It's time for opening day. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. <laughs> I'm really grateful for everyone who stuck with us during the off-season. I know that we tried to keep things light. We c- tried to make things interesting. It's not always the easiest thing in the world, especially in a free agent market like this one when you know weeks go by with nothing happening but you know i am proud of the content we were able to bring people this off season i'm extremely excited for what we have ahead in this coming season the april magazine the yearbook these are two fantastic publications i hope you will check out i hope you will head to yankees.com magazine to read the stories or yankees.com publications to purchase your copies I hope you'll subscribe. I hope you'll come out to the stadium and buy a copy here. I hope you'll call 800-GO-YANKS just to talk. You never know. Maybe someone there (laughs) wants to hang out. And I hope you'll just, you know, come with us on this season and subscribe to the podcast, review the podcast, rate the podcast. It really helps. It helps us show up higher in, uh, you know, those different algorithms. I hope you'll send us feedback to podcast at Yankees.com so we can know what kind of stuff you want. And that's really it for me for the 2018 to 19 off season.
3: And I'll say to you guys, Nate and John, thank you guys for all the great work with the podcast, especially this off season. I think it's at its all-time high and, and only continues to get better, and I think that's a real tribute to both of you guys. Well, thank you very much, you. Al. You're an excellent boss. I, I, I don't say that enough. <laughs> good. You make actually a good point there. That That's true, John. You don't. Thank you
1: thank you all so very much. Happy opening day in two weeks. Next time we speak to you, baseball season is underway. We will do 162 podcasts this year, so come with us. I'm joking. That's not true. Another thing, by the (laughs) way, I was joking about is it turns out Brian Hoke actually did not get a watch for appearing on the Yankees Magazine podcast last week. That was an error on my part, and I feel terrible about it. Um, If anyone wants to donate a watch to Brian Hoke, though, we can call us and we'll figure it out. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. We'll see you during the baseball season, and uh, have a good one.
4: Hi, this is Adam Ottavino. For more stories like these, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.